We've been waging an all-out war in American democracy. You look at what they've been doing, and uh, they have just waged an all-out war with each passing day. Wait a minute. Who's waging the war? You or them? Get it straight, dude. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I think we all know who's waging that war. I something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internet. So the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today we got a lot to get to on today's broadcast i got a guest standing by maybe we will get to some of your calls at 818-985-5735 a little bit later this hour but as usual it has been a very busy several days since we last spoke to you on this program uh, the past several days, however, uh, Desi Doyen, have been even busier than usual, it seems to me. Is that is that just me? Uh, what, oh, your mic is down. Oh, well. I don't think it's just you. Damn. Now it's back up. All right. Hi, Des. <laughs> Let me. Can you hear me now? I can hear you fine. Fantastic. Yes. yes it's things are crazy busy and uh, not not uh, not unexpectedly. I and guess. not necessarily in a good way. Late last week, uh, fighting was reignited between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. And Israel has restarted its ground assault against Hamas. Now, uh, The New York Times is reporting within the last hour here that the ground offensive is now moving into southern Gaza. Gaza, that following the end to a six-day pause in fighting last week for the release of hostages from Gaza and prisoners being held in Israel and the distribution of humanitarian supplies via Egypt in Egypt into southern Gaza. Here at home late on Friday in two different courts in D.C. in two different cases related to Donald Trump's incitement of insurrection on January 6, 2021. One civil case and one criminal case, both courts rejected arguments by Donald Trump's legal team that he was somehow immune from those uh, from the lawsuit by members of Congress and members of the uh, uh, Capitol Police and D.C. police for his actions that day due to uh, his claims that as president, he has immunity 
against civil suits and criminal suits. Uh, He's immune to the criminal charges in special counsel Jack Smith's federal indictment. U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin uh, disagrees strongly, in part in her response to Trump's legal motion. Uh, She said in her role overseeing the federal criminal case, quote, whatever immunities a sitting president may enjoy, the United States has only one chief executive at a time, and that position does not confer a lifelong get-out-of-jail-free pass. Citing former Justice Felix Frankfurter, she noted, quote, if one man can be allowed to determine for himself what is law, every man can. That means first chaos, then tyranny. I think I know which part we're into now. She continued, every president will face difficult decisions whether to intentionally commit a federal crime, however, should not be one of them. By definition, the president's duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed does not grant special latitude to violate them. Defendant's four-year service as commander-in-chief, she wrote, did not bestow on him the divine right of kings to evade the criminal accountability that governs his fellow citizens. Former presidents enjoy no special conditions on their federal criminal liability. Defendant may be subject to federal investigation, indictment, prosecution, conviction, and punishment for any criminal acts undertaken while in office. A former president's exposure to federal criminal liability is essential to fulfilling our constitutional promise of equal justice under the law. The D.C. Federal Appeals Panel also found similar in the civil lawsuit Uh, filed against the then-sitting president, meaning both cases will now proceed, though Trump will likely continue to delay both of the cases with appeals in hopes of running out the clock until next year's election, after which, if he wins, he will make all of the federal cases go away. The very far-right-wing Fifth Circuit federal court ruled against Texas's Republican Governor Greg Abbott and in favor of the Biden administration since we last spoke, ordering Texas to remove buoys that have been set up uh, at the border in the Rio Grande River as part of Abbott's anti-immigration performance art. Christian Ziegler, the chair of the Florida Republican Party, was revealed as being criminally investigated on rape charges after he and his wife, Bridget Ziegler, a member of the Sarasota County School Board and well-known co-founder of the far-right so-called Family Values National Group called Moms for Liberty, Well, the two of them were said to have been carrying out a three-way sexual relationship with the victim who is charging rape uh, over the past year. Christian Ziegler reportedly secretly videotaped the encounters, including the one where Bridget was said to have not been present, which the alleged victim describes as a rape. Serial fabricator, Republican New York congressman and federal indictee on 23 criminal fraud counts. That would be Congressman George Santos was finally expelled from Congress last week with many of his own party in his many in his own party turning against him. He is only the sixth member of Congress to ever be removed by his fellow colleagues. The first female U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor died at the age of 93 
living long enough, however, to see four female justices serving on the high court at the same time. The latest annual U.N. climate conference, COP28, being held in Dubai this week, got underway last week and has already yielded what some are hailing as an important breakthrough among those in attendance. Hopefully, we'll have some time later this hour to get to uh, some of those details from Desi Doyen. If not, well, that's what the rest of the week is for, Des. <laughs> there so you go. no promises. I know. And on uh, on Monday, long-shot Republican presidential candidate and billionaire South Dakota Governor Doug Burgum ducked out of the GOP presidential race that I suspect uh, many didn't even know that he was running in. That, in advance of this week's fourth GOP presidential primary debate, where the frontrunner Donald Trump is again not expected to show up. This one will be on Wednesday from Alabama, and we will, as usual, for some reason that I'm still not actually able to explain, have special coverage of that debate on our Thursday broadcast. Well, it Is gives right? us a chance to Does? make jokes. Yes. Okay, there you go. Uh, and all of that as the uh, first votes will be cast in the 2024 presidential election in just over one month's time at this point in the Iowa caucuses where Republicans, if they stick with tradition, will cast their votes on hand-marked paper ballots and even tally them publicly by hand on caucus night, a procedure that has been helpful in years past in determining who really won or lost those caucuses. In 2012, for example, Mitt Romney was announced the winner by the GOP on caucus night, after which several caucus goers reviewed the results to notice that numbers from their own caucus were incorrectly reported by the RNC. We talked about it a great deal at the time on this program with one of those uh, voters. A few weeks later, after the tabulation was finally corrected, then U.S. Senator Rick Santorum was eventually announced as the real winner in Iowa. As we wrote at the time, it was the voters who were ultimately the winners there in that their votes were counted as cast, even though they had to fight for that. But thanks to the very public process of the GOP Iowa caucuses, errors were discoverable and eventually corrected. There was a different sort of snafu, however, at precincts in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, in the recent off-year elections in November, in which Democrats once again performed very well in a number of states around the country on the heels of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade last year. But as we reported in detail uh, on this program, as the news was breaking on Election Day just last month, just a few weeks ago, the touchscreen ballot marking devices or BMD voting systems failed yet again in the swing county of Northampton, Northampton County, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia in the critical presidential battleground state. In two different statewide retention elections for state judges, one Democratic and one Republican, when voters chose yes to retain both of those judges or no to not retain both of those judges, the touchscreen uh, system and the paper ballot summary that is printed out by the computer summary of that vote 
for voters to supposedly review and verify before their paper ballot summary is then tabulated by a separate computer system, a computer scanner. Well, if they voted yes for both or no for both, everything worked as normal. But if voters chose yes in one contest and no for the other, their votes would be flipped when the computer printed them out on that paper that they're supposed to review. As we reported, uh, in, in one precinct, it was more than an hour had passed before any voters had noticed that particular problem. Chaos eventually ensued across the county on Election Day as voters were instructed to begin voting on emergency paper ballots instead of on the touchscreens until those very quickly ran out. Eventually, a county judge in Northampton told the election officials and the voting systems manufa manufacturer, ESNS, the nation's largest, um, the judge was told by them, by the officials and by ESNS, that the problem was only occurring on the human readable portion of the printout of the ballots and not on the ballot summaries that are printed into barcodes. That barcode is what is actually tabulated by the computer optical scanner, not that human readable portion that is printed out on those paper, computer marked paper ballots. But after the judge was told, OK, the problem is only on the human readable part, not in the actual barcode part, well, the judge ordered the resumption of the use of those touchscreens. Incredibly enough, in the middle of Election Day, as local officials stunningly announced that they would simply reverse the results somehow during tabulation of any ballots where a voter might have voted yes for one judge and no for another. If that sounds insane... It's because it is. If it is confusing and or stunning to you, well, it was to me as well. And most likely to many voters. Now, adding irony to the situation of what happened just last month in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, the local Northampton County judge who approved the continuing use of the touchscreen voting systems to, you know, told voters, yeah, you don't have to worry about paper ballots. Go ahead and go back to those touchscreens. Well, that is the uh, same judge who had his own problems with those very same systems just four years ago when they were first introduced in Northampton County in 2019. That year, the judge in question was running for the position that he is now in. He was running for judge. And in several precincts, this same system failed. It had registered zero votes for this guy. Now, an investigation later discovered that he indeed had many votes cast for him. No, he did not have zero votes in a number of precincts. In fact, he won the election. But the computers, once again, had tallied certain races inaccurately. And no, this problem is not only a concern for Northampton County, Pennsylvania. Similar systems are used in Philadelphia and in many other states. For example, at every precinct uh, in the uh, other critical, one of the other critical battleground states uh, next year, Georgia, as we have been reporting and warning for years on this program, similar, very similar systems are used. 
That state is being sued by longtime broadcast guest Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, as she's been attempting since 2017 in her lawsuit called Curling v. Raffensperger to force the state to move to verifiable hand-marked paper ballots before the 2024 election. Rather than the touchscreen BMD systems, ballot marking device, device systems made by Dominion Voting Systems, there are about a dozen other states around the country where similarly unverifiable touchscreen systems are currently in use for next year's elections, including, by the way, right here in Los Angeles, the nation's most populous county where voters at the polls are offered touchscreen voting systems made by a company named Smartmatic, which prints out a supposed summary of their votes in human-readable text on a piece of paper before optical scan systems tally the human unreadable portion of that ballot printed into QR codes that no human being can actually read. As Politico recently reported in explaining what researchers were able to discover about what actually went wrong on the systems in Northampton County last month, the events of no November 7 could carry lessons well beyond Northampton. Electronic voting machines that use barcodes and paper printouts just like the ESNS ExpressVote XL in Northampton now represent the principal Election Day voting system in roughly a fifth of the country. Security experts, Politico notes, have long warned that the human-readable printout and barcode on those devices could diverge due to manipulation or error, creating enormous confusion, where the human-readable text says one thing and the barcode says another, the barcode that is actually tallied. But until Northampton, no one seemed to listen, Politico writes. That, according to Kevin Skoglin, president and chief technologist of Citizens for Better Elections, a Pennsylvania-based elections rights nonprofit. Quote, our concerns keep getting dismissed by people saying, well, of course they're going to match, said Skoglin, who wrote a report on the events in Northampton last month. Skoglin, Skoglin added, but here we are. Here we are indeed. Al Schmidt, Pennsylvania's Secretary of State, said that while the state is looking into the incident in Northampton, every sign indicates that the problems there should not be taken as a reason to distrust the ExpressVote XL or systems like it. Quote, no voting system is immune to human error, he said. So, yeah, that's right. The county still plans to use the same systems again in the battleground state's critical 2024 presidential election. Despite these failures, despite the failure in 2019 and again the failure in 2023, what could possibly go wrong? In the meantime, what actually happened last month on those systems? Why did that even occur and does it make any sense at all to use them or any similar type of touchscreen computer BMD systems, which print out votes rather than simply allowing a voter to hand mark a paper ballot? Does that make sense at all? Well, for thoughts on all of that and more, I am delighted to be joined once again today by the indispensable election technologist, expert, 
Election Integrity Champion Kevin Skoglin of Pennsylvania's Citizens for Better Elections. Mr. Skoglin, it has been too many years, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Oh, thanks. Hi, Brad and Desi. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you here, man. Uh, We have seen situations where computer voting and or tabulation systems have an error in their database, for example, where candidate A might be uh, on the candidate B line or vice versa, which is disturbing enough on its own. But in this case, where the printed results were correct and matched the results shown on the screen when both judges received yes or no votes, but flipped when voters voted yes for one and no for the other, I could not even fathom what might have caused such a case. You, however, thankfully, and thank you, were able to figure it out and detailed it in a very helpful and detailed report that I will link to. But can you kick us off here, Kevin, by explaining in the uh, sort of the simplest possible terms what actually happened technically to cause this problem to happen on Election Day? Sure. So your introduction was perfect. You you laid it out exactly right. Um, you mentioned that these are for judicial retention races. Mm-hmm. That's something that not every place votes on, but we do in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So you say, should a judge get another term in office? Yes or no? And mm-hmm. the, the question is a long bit of text on the ballot. Um, on the screen, it's a, it's a long sentence. Mm-hmm. And even if it were a hand-to-market paper ballot, it would be a long sentence, mm-hmm. right? Should right. this judge be retained? Right. So when you go to print that, though, on the paper card, mm-hmm. the paper card is very limited. It's about half the size of a legal piece of paper. Right. And so you can't print all of that text on the card. Okay. Instead, you have alternate text that is used only for printing. And that text has to be programmed by somebody. So when the election is set up and created, they create database files that tell these computers what are the contests, who are the candidates, Mm -hmm. how should things look on the screen, how should things look on the printed text. And in this case, what happened was that the abbreviated description for the printed card Mm -hmm. got swapped between the two candidates. And... You know, that may seem like a, a small, simple error, but, you know, ballots are complex. Right. Entering all of these different elections in there is a, a very complex process mm-hmm. because some races are on some ballots and not on others. So it does, you know, require you to be really precise mm-hmm. in, in doing it. Um, so that simple mistake that someone made, which is a mistake that could happen in any election, uh-huh. right, anytime these machines are used, um, caused it to be that the races printed incorrectly on the ballot the label for the races the label for the races the actual uh, the actual uh, values of how they voted uh, in that particular race yes or no was correct but it was next to text that said instead of shall jack panella be retained it was next to text that said shall victor stabile be retained instead that's correct that's exactly right and so therefore the information that was in the barcodes that, again, humans can't actually read, the information in there was theoretically correct, right? Correct. That was what the county and ESNS were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, knowing how these machines work, wanted to find out if that was, in fact, true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I set about to do that. They provided some photographs of a ballot with a mistake mm-hmm. and with a uh, hand-marked paper ballot 
that matches it. Mm -hmm. And when you have those two pieces together, you can read the barcode mm -hmm. and the barcode gives you a set of coordinates <laughs> on the hand-marked paper ballot where you would expect to find the oval. So there is this relationship between those barcodes and the grid of ovals on the hand-marked paper ballot. And so you can look at it then and, and sort of decode those barcodes. It's, yeah. a, it's a slow process. Yes. That, you know, it's not something you can do in a polling place. No. It's the kind of thing that, you know, me sitting at home, I could walk through it very slowly and carefully and find those grid positions. Right. And I had to have the, the hand-marked paper ballot or I wouldn't have been able to do it at all. And now all of this, as opposed to, because I'm looking at uh, your graphic in your report of what the screen looked like, what people would have seen on their screen when they selected yes or no. Had that been printed out on a piece of paper for me to go in and just check yes or no in each of those races, um, we would have avoided problems like this, correct? Because it would have just been, you know, verified as I wrote it in, yes for this and, and uh, no for that. And you would, after the election, you could go back to that hand-marked paper ballot and know, in fact, what it, how the uh, voter actually intended to vote. That's right, because on the ballot with ovals, mm -hmm. the oval is relative to the text that goes with it. And mm -hmm. it stays with it all the way through the process. Whether you tabulate it, whether you audit it, the voter's mark next to that text stays linked together. It's when you print it out like this that yeah. now we have a division. Now you have a barcode that says one thing and you have text that's not the text on the screen, uh -huh. but is printed text. So you have three different votes the screen the barcode and the printed text on the ballot <laughs> right and they're all supposed to match up and then they don't and we have utter chaos now is there is there any reason to believe kevin you looked at the you matched the barcodes up with the you know the actual values and so forth is there any reason to believe that this was some sort of a nefarious scheme fraud rigging hacking by either you know election officials or or the people at esns who actually program these ballots or from some outsider who was able to hack into the system I don't think so. I think, you know, their explanation makes sense. Mm -hmm. It checks out technically. Okay. But also, you know, this these races, these particular judicial contests, yeah. it's not two judges competing against each other. Right. It's a yes, no on a single judge. Mm -hmm. And they typically, uh, you know, judges are retained by a, a pretty healthy margin. Mm -hmm. So in this case, both judges were retained. So there was nothing really to gain. If mm -hmm. it was nefarious, it you know, instead of Judge A winning and Judge B winning, mm -hmm. well... Judge B and Judge A won. They just flipped them around. And so, in, yeah, and in this case, uh, one was a Republican, one was a Democrat. I mean, in one sense, I think we were really lucky, Kevin, that uh, that these were the particular races that they screwed up. Um, because what this could mean, well, the, the major defense for supporters of systems like this, essentially, as I describe them, sometimes four thousand dollar pencils. Um, the Can main, I correct you? This is yeah. a nine thousand dollar pencil. Oh, oh, there we go. You're right. These are the this is the XL <laughs> system, the, the super super luxury right. expensive one. Oh, well, then that's totally worth it. The, the major defense of these systems, Kevin, is that you know, uh, and the the voting system of vendors, they make a lot more money, obviously, by selling these than a a pen, you know, and one optical scanner in each precinct. So they defend these systems. Uh, Georgia's, Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, defends these systems. L.A. County's Registrar Recorder, Dean Logan, out here, defends these systems. Their argument is that 
Well, there's really nothing to worry about because voters will be able to, if there's any question, review the computer-marked paper ballot summary cards before they are cast. But what you, what happened in Northampton County, it seems to me, has completely blown all of that up in one single election because what was printed on those cards in human readable text was different than the values that were actually tabulated. Uh, that seems all out the window now, that that claim that, oh, we can always go back to the text. Am I right about that? That's right. I mean, the argument was always essentially that the text was a reliable proxy for what was in the barcode. Uh-huh. And by proxy, it's a stand-in, right? right? And when you raise this issue of like, well, what if they don't disagree? Everyone said, well, that's hypothetical. That's that's crazy talk, right? Why would they not agree? Of course they always agree. Well, here's an example <laughs> that don't. shows yeah. they don't. Uh, The uh, Northampton County Republican Committee Chair Glenn Geisinger told Politico, quote, in 2019, when the issues came up with the touchscreens, we were told, don't worry about it. The cards are recording the vote. He adds, "Okay, you're telling me now in 2023, don't worry about what's printed on the card. We've got this taken care of in 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 the barcode. Uh, This uh, is is mind bl- in one sense it's mind blowing to me in another sense I've been warning about this as I know you have for years um, and yet Northampton is actually planning to use these systems anyway still next year Kevin yes absolutely and you talk to people in Northampton and they say you know why you're asking for a third chance right we've already they've already failed on us twice. Why should we be willing to give you a third chance with these? In a presidential election year. In a yeah, I, I think we also have to state. look at this yeah. from the poll worker point of view yeah. um, and the voter point of view who yeah. were in those you know, polling places trying to deal with the chaos from yeah. this. Um, you know, some systems were down. Some voters were told to come back later. Some didn't notice at all and kept voting. And once they realized that the card was wrong, then it's a question of how do you deal with that? And the, the county eventually told people vote anyway and just ignore the text your your only tool to know right what's in the barcode just ignore it you know don't trust the text yeah trust what's in the barcode uh-huh. but also there were there were polling places where the poll workers told voters vote the opposite of the oh, way that man. you want oh, so that man. then the printed text will be right oh, which of course man. put the wrong vote into the barcode right and their vote now was recorded against what they wanted. It's a, it's not the voters' intent. It's the opposite of the voters' intent. Which is why I say that we are so lucky that this happened in these two particular races. Because I don't know how many votes there were total in Northampton, but as as you said, Kevin Scoglin, you know, usually judges are retained. I suspect I haven't checked the numbers, but I suspect it's possible these were both statewide races. You could throw out all the votes for uh, judge retention in those two races in Northampton. I suspect the judges would probably still have been uh, retained in this particular, uh, these these two particular races. Is that is that uh, likely? I think that is the case. But, yeah. you know, this exact same problem would come up in other cases where the ballot text is long, mm-hmm. but what prints on the ballot is short. So yeah. if you imagine that you had a ballot question, right, whether you should change laws um, and put that to the voters, those can be quite lengthy. Those mm-hmm. can be paragraphs. Yeah. Those then get summarized into a single line. Right. And this exact same 
problem could happen there. You could have a very popular measure followed by a very unpopular measure, and they would be switched then on the ballots. And and Kevin, unless I'm wrong here, it doesn't even need to be a case like that. I mean, when when I saw your explanation of what happened, I thought to myself, how is this even possible? Aren't the databases designed so that each candidate in the database table sort of has, you know, a single number in the table that is assigned to them? Is there any particular reason, you know, knowing what you have now learned, is there any particular reason why... Um, the labels couldn't be switched between Joe Biden and Donald Trump on next year's ballot. The computer records it correctly, but someone has switched the text either accidentally or on purpose. For any ballot marking device that has a different uh, label for the screen mm-hmm. and printed, this could happen. So it, it absolutely could affect other races if a similar problem were done accidentally or maliciously. We were also told, by the way, uh, by election officials and vendors who support these systems, well, we shouldn't worry about it because any accidental misprogramming like this uh, would be caught in the uh, pre-election testing, the so-called logic and accuracy or LNA tests that are supposedly done on the machines as, you know, sort of the last step before the systems are deployed for the elections. Did that not happen here? How could this not have been caught or or did it happen, but it just happened poorly? It's unclear exactly what logic and accuracy testing they did um, and how it was done, because mm-hmm. those documents aren't public that I'm that I'm aware of or that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is that what they did was use something called a test deck, mm-hmm. which is where you pre uh, configure some of the combinations for different races. Mm-hmm run them through the machines, and then look at the totals at the end to see if they're right. So in this case, they would have uh, actually, ironically, hand-marked paper ballots that have the votes on them. Mm -hmm. They take those, they look at the touch screen, and they vote that same pattern of votes, and they hit cast. And then they do it again, and again, and again, and again, and they look at the totals at the end. Now, in this particular case, even if you did really good logic accuracy testing, Mm you still have to catch this error, which is very subtle because, again, if you vote the same number of yeses for each of the candidates, Mm -hmm. then on the total sheet, you'll have the same number of yeses just switch places. So it really is a a real difficult thing to... um, you know, to test for. Uh, by the way, I had some uh, folks who uh, heard you were going to be on the show today, asked if we'd be taking calls. We'll we'll see if we can get in a few at 818-985-5735. If you want to, uh, got a question for Kevin or me or, or a thought on any of this, 818-985-KPFK is the number. We are in fun drive out here. So you have to hit button number two. You sure? Number two to get on the air? Okay. Uh, hit button number two if you want to join me on the air. I guess button number one when you call in. It, it, there is some confusion. Listen closely when you call in. 818-985-5735 to figure out how to get on the air. Wendell swears it's hit button number two. Okay. Uh, Kevin, for years, uh, election experts have been uh, trying to encourage, experts like yourself have been trying to encourage Pennsylvania to have more emergency paper ballots on hand. Uh, in the event of something like this in each precinct. Um, But they are 
required, as I understand it, to have very few. And they ran out very quickly when this problem came up a few weeks ago in November in Northampton County. Um, and uh, apparently they can't even give them out until there are several different complaints about the systems, as I recall. Has there been any change there in light of what, what went on in no- uh, on November 7 last month? Will there be more emergency paper ballots at least uh, in, in these precincts where they're still using these systems uh, uh, next year in the presidential race? I sure hope so. I sure hope that they learned a lesson here. Um, you know, one of the the core cybersecurity concerns is resilience. You want to have systems that can recover from problems. And one of the reasons that we like handmarked paper ballots is not just that the voter, you know, marks their ballot and verifies it all at the same time. So there's not this extra step of of checking the machine's work. Mm -hmm. One of the other properties of them is their resilience, because even if the power goes out, even if the machines all stop working, Mm as long as you have a pencil or a pen, a pen, not a pencil, if you have a pen, you can mark uh, the ovals on your ballot and you can scan them later if you need to. But with these machines, Uh your pencil may just stop working. And, you know, you have to have a backup plan If that happens, you have to have uh, something that's resilient. And these particular machines are less resilient even than most ballot marking devices, because the reason they're so expensive is they have both the screen and the tabulator all in one unit. Whereas in a lot of places like Georgia, for example, they have two separate devices. They have one that marks the ballot and another that scans and tabulates the votes. Um, So if one fails, you could potentially, you know, come up with something to to fix that. But humans can't write barcodes, right? So you have to have some other option. And in Northampton's case, they had 20 emergency paper ballots for precinct, um, which of course they burned through in no time um, on election day. Right. And they had no choice then but to go back to machines that they knew were malfunctioning. Uh, unbelievable. And these are the machines, and I hadn't uh, realized, these are the machines that after they approve the, the the way the computer has printed the card, it rolls back under the print heads where the print, right. the print heads could change the vote after the voter has already looked at it and one would never know. Kevin, uh, let me take a quick break here. Can you stick around uh, for, for a call or two? And I have some more questions for you. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And I think we have definitively figured it out. Have we, Desi Doyen? Yes, we have. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Please, you'll call press one to get on the air, two uh-huh. to donate. Okay, there you go. 818-985-5735. We're, we're getting rid of Wendell right away for making that screw up. Oh, no, it's Desi's fault. All right, we're getting rid of both of you. 818-985-5735. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, Kevin Skoglund to discuss about what happened just last month in Northampton when the touchscreen voting systems reported the opposite of what voters wanted to vote and what this means for the 2024 election which to me is terrifying. That and some of your calls, 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad here at The Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely 
independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Kevin Skoglin of Citizens for Better Elections. Uh, he was able to go in and figure out just what the hell went sideways with the touchscreen voting systems that were used last month in the uh, off-year elections in Northampton County, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia, where voters chose one thing on the screen and something else the opposite printed out on the computer-printed ballot summary that they were then supposed to approve, and many didn't even notice, by the way, when uh, the system printed something other than what they had voted on the touchscreen. That's not a problem only in Northampton County, in Pennsylvania, which is a critical battleground state in the presidential election. It's also a problem across the entire state of Georgia, where they use similar systems. It's also a problem out here in Los Angeles County, where on Election Day, uh, voters are given these touchscreen systems that work pretty much the same way. It's dangerous. It's terrifying. I'm going to get to uh, some uh, calls in a moment. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And yes, hit button number one to get on the air. But uh, Kevin Skoglin, um, you figured out that it was uh, they screwed up. Someone screwed up. Someone misprogrammed. Uh, it, it was not nefarious, but they basically swapped the text labels in the printouts for those ballots. But, you know, uh, I spoke about what happened here uh, in this incident with Marilyn Marks. She is suing Georgia to get rid of similar systems there and move to handmarked paper ballots uh, before the 2024 presidential election there. I, I think you're an expert consultant in that uh, lawsuit, if I recall. That's right. Um, we discussed the nightmare scenario uh, that could occur in Georgia or Pennsylvania or any battleground state. Kevin, if something like this happens next year in even one precinct in a state where, let's say, Donald Trump loses with results that are as close as they were, you know, in, in 2020, I think this could touch off a, a tinderbox like, you know, we have never seen in this country. Um, you know, so the notion that we are still using these systems, frankly, terrifies me for next year. How about you, Kevin? It does. It does. You know, we we often think that elections somehow equal democracy, mm -hmm. but that's not really true. There are places that are not democracies that hold elections. Mm -hmm. What really makes a democracy work is trust in the elections, right? Being mm -hmm. able to have a peaceful transfer of power based on those election results. And you have to trust that they're right mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So that having that trust is is fundamental to democracy. And events like this shake people's trust with good reason. Yeah. And, and what is even more troubling about this, as if it's all not troubling enough already, is that... Uh, this doesn't even have to go wrong. What happened in Northampton County doesn't even have to go wrong. But someone can 
say that it has happened. They can either pretend that it has happened or they, you know, maybe they just remembered their vote differently than what printed out. Uh, with these systems, there's no actual way of knowing if those folks are telling the truth or not. I, I, you know, I hate to suggest this uh, hack of how to hack an election, but claiming it has gone sideways on a touchscreen voting system is damn near as damaging as it actually going sideways on a touchscreen voting system. Am I nuts to suggest that? Yeah, you're right. That's one of the problems with these. Um, you know, Professor Appel, DeMillo and Stark wrote a, a paper mm-hmm. about marking devices cannot assure the will of the voters. And they talk about this issue of how do you deal with a report that something is wrong? Because the tendency is for poll workers not to believe the person and to think, oh, you just made a mistake, right? Ask mm-hmm. them to do it over again because you don't know. Their vote is private. And even if they are believed, mm-hmm. even if it is escalated, what do you do? Take the machine out of service? We saw that in Northampton. They took the machines out of service. And after 20 emergency paper ballots, they were stuck. <laughs> they were ran out. So you really end up with something that's like a denial of service attack, which could be used to maliciously take machines out of service, right? Right. Just report a bunch of errors that aren't actually happening and get the county to take machines out of service while they figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, precious hours of voting on Election Day are passing by. And I don't understand why election officials have not gotten this yet. I mean, I know you've been talking about it for years. I've been talking about for years. Marilyn Marks. This seems to be so damned dangerous, particularly in the uh, the you know the the situation we are in now, where you've got one of the potentially leading candidates going out there telling them the entire telling everybody the entire system is rigged, and I I just I I think we're asking for huge trouble. Let me go to it. Looks like our friend Susan Greenhall from FreeSpeechForPeople.org is calling in online. One, she's a regular guest over the years on the broadcast as well. And I know, uh, actually, I think we talked to her uh, right after this happened in Northampton County. She uh, drove down from D.C. as I recall, down to Northampton as this was uh, just breaking on Election Day last month. Susan Greenhall, good to hear from you. Welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. Uh, nice to hear your voice too. What do you think? Are we? Uh, are you as concerned as I am about this, Susan? I definitely um, am as concerned as you and Kevin are. I actually wrote, uh, wanted to call in because I think you hit on an important point, um, which was that you said, shouldn't the system have been designed to prevent something like this, where the labels are not consistent mm-hmm. um, at different parts of the ballot? And what do you know about the federal voting system guidelines to which this system is purportedly certified to Mm. actually does make such a requirement. So that would suggest that this system is actually in violation of the voting system standards and that it is supposed to be certified to um, and could potentially uh, warrant an investigation that might lead to decertification. But what we're seeing from the county and from the vendor is that they're trying to sweep this under the rug and, minimize it and whitewash it and just call it a um, a, a clerical error. But um, Human error. It can happen. Human error. Yeah. 
So you're, what right. you're saying is that w- when the system itself is being programmed, it should always refer back to the same uh, the same candidate or whatever it is. You shouldn't have this ability to accidentally swap the text labels uh, for the printout on the ballot. Is that what you're suggesting? That's that's right. Um, the the guidelines say that the relationship between the name of the candidate and the mechanism used to vote for that candidate shall be throughout the ballot, shall be, mm-hmm. which means must. And I think that's essentially there to basically idiot-proof the system from the types of error that happened in Northampton. Um, but I don't think we're going to see the, the county or the vendor raising the fact that this system appears to be out of compliance with this requirement, mm-hmm. um, which means we're going to have to do that. Now, yeah, you're going to we're going to have to let the world know, unfortunately. Uh, Kevin Skoglin, you're uh, you work with, as I understand it, with the uh, the the, the uh, cybersecurity working group for the National Institute of Standards and Technology uh, working on the new voluntary voting system guidelines that these machines are supposed to be certified to. Uh, that's an advisory group with the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. Do you know if the current standards uh, allow for this sort of thing, or, or does this put the machines in Pennsylvania out of compliance with the federal law? With federal guidelines, know, you know, I, I don't know whether whether it does or not. Susan's been researching that, and she's been briefing me on it. So I, I think she's probably the mm. the expert on that point. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I together served on that uh, the commission that came up with the the new standards. Mm-hmm. The old standards are what these machines are certified to. They're not certified to the new standards. They're certified to the ones from two thousand five. So quite quite a long time ago, and very different. Susan Greenhall, good to hear from you, uh, and congratulations on the fact that now you've got something else on your plate to start calling for, which is, uh, frankly, decertifying these systems for use in Pennsylvania because they don't apparently meet the federal guidelines. Yeah, that's where we're up to. Well, thanks for having me on, Brad. You bet. Let me let me know when we got to have you back on to talk about the effort there. 818-985-KPFK. I, uh, I think it's, frankly, insane to use these type of systems in any jurisdiction by any voter other than those who might you know, choose to use one because they're disabled and they truly need an assistive voting technology. But uh, Kevin Skoglund, if voters have the option to vote on hand-marked paper ballots— either at the precinct or via vote-by-mail, which I'm no fan of, by the way, would you recommend that they do that instead of voting on one of these touchscreen systems next year? I mean, every voter has to make a choice for themselves, but I think you want something that, you know, is a durable record of your vote, that you know is correct, that you know is going to be counted correctly, that you're casting it correctly, it will be counted correctly. And um, I, I think... Having handmarked paper ballots, whether it's emergency paper ballots or write-in ballots, I think those are better options than using these pencils that are, you know, fallible. And and cost $9,000. Actually... And it wasn't always this way, Brad. Yeah. You know, originally these ballot marking devices were very limited use. When that 2005 standard that we talked about was created, yeah. ballot marking devices were seen by the Help America Vote Act as a way to allow people who had difficulty marking a ballot right. to be able to use a computer to assist them. And it's only this shift that was made in the last 10 years where 
Now we put those in front of all voters. Everyone. And, right. and it's kind of been shoehorned in to a lot of the regulations and into the laws. In, in Pennsylvania, as an example, barcodes were not considered a legal vote for a long time. Even though these machines were being used, the mark was not considered you know, allowed under the election code. Raising the question uh, after something like what happened in Northampton, uh, seems like somebody could sue to say, well, the barcode is my actual vote versus the uh, uh, human readable text or vice versa. I mean, I don't know that, you know, in state after state, there's questions about what actually counts as the official vote. We've got another uh, expert calling in here, another uh, regular guest over the years of the broadcast, Philip Stark, professor from UC Berkeley, who invented the uh, uh, what's it called, Philip? The <laughs> I don't know. Risk-limiting audits. Thank you. Risk-limiting audits system. Um, uh, Thanks for calling in. Uh, This is just madness, uh, Philip. I'm just going to hand the show over to you. Well, thanks for uh, bringing me into the party. Um, Kevin, Brad, great to hear the show. Um, I wanted to uh, emphasize something. Um, Kevin mentioned the paper with uh, Andrew Appel and Rich DeMillo, and Mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, we point out there is that uh, even when there are problems detected with ballot marking devices, um, there's no way to reconstruct the correct outcome of the election from the paper trail at that point. You kind of know the paper trail is defective, but you don't know how many votes were altered or which way mm-hmm. or what to trust. And so really the only remedy is to run the election over again. Of course, you can't really step in the same election twice, so that's not going to necessarily give the same outcome. But here what we've actually seen is a really stunning counterexample where even though the election officials knew that the equipment malfunctioned and knew that voters had gotten conflicting instructions about what to do about it, so we know some of them deliberately voted incorrectly to make the paper look right, Mm -hmm. they still didn't run a new election. Um, So this to me feels like it ought to be the nail in the coffin of, you know, using these for general, you know, for all voters, universally used ballot marking devices. They're just they're just a broken technology by design. And I think they would have had to run a new election had there been, you know, in both of these cases, these were judges running for retention, either yes or no, if there had been, you know, two candidates in each race where one was affected by this uh, directly and the other wasn't, I don't know that we would have any other choice other than to rerun the entire election. And this is what terrifies me, Philip, uh, about next year's election and how easily this can now be thrown off as long as we are using these systems. Do you share, I know Kevin already said he does, do you share that concern as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that back to the the previous point, I mean, this really does show how allergic election officials are to rerunning an election, even when problems are found. And it's understandable. I mean, it's a a nightmare to to have to to do it over again. Um, But I'm not sure that I agree with your point that had there been two candidates, it would have been different mm. because we really don't know what the outcome of either of these is. If, if, if people were sort of remarking ballots in order and, you know, flipping their, their barcode selections mm-hmm. to make their printed selection, their, their human readable selections look right. So, um, you know, this is back to the issue of um, elections that are conducted with ballot marking devices aren't um, what, what um, uh, Andrew Rich and I called contestable, meaning that if someone observes a failure and uh, observes a malfunction, they can't prove to anybody else that they did observe that malfunction. Mm-hmm. 
uh, nor are they defensible, meaning that if the outcome of the contest is right, despite whatever might have gone wrong, there's no way for the election official to prove that the outcome is right. There's no way they can provide public evidence that it's right. Right. And by the way, the only uh, reason I make that point about uh, two candidates running is because uh, I had mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, it seemed to me that if we tossed out all of the elections in Northampton County, uh, all of the results there, that these same candidates may have ended up winning uh, anyway, winning retention yeah. just just due to the numbers. But uh, here there's a there's a root cause analysis. So as Kevin mentioned, kind of understand why the printout was wrong. And so if there were relatively few voters mm-hmm. who voted to retain one and reject the other, then if there were so few voters who voted that way that 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 changing their votes any which way wouldn't have altered the outcome, then then the outcome is safe. I I got to get out, gentlemen. I'm. I'm sorry to actually uh, cut both of you off. Uh, that's uh, Philip Stark of UC Berkeley, uh, inventor of the risk-limiting audit pro- protocol, which everyone also ignores. Uh, Kevin Skoglin, please keep up the important work you're doing in Pennsylvania. We really need you now more than ever out there. Uh, and, and let us know if there's any changes in Pennsylvania. You can find uh, Kevin's work. I will link to his report from brandblog.com. He's from Citizens for Better Elections. You can find them on Twitter at CB Elections. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for your work and for your time today. Thanks so much for having me on, Brad. I appreciate it. You bet. I'm sorry to give everyone the bums rush, but I got to get out. Thanks to Desi, our producer, Wendell, our uh, handy, our uh, engineer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We will be back with you tomorrow. Until then, we'll see you at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.